Hello, welcome to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Well, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Better Outcomes Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, where we deliver the ultimate patient experience blueprint, which helps healthcare organizations improve patient engagement, retention. I basically tell people that we help our clients attract, acquire, engage, and retain more patients. So if that's something you'd be interested in, you can head on over to RehabUPracticeSolutions.com slash UPE for ultimate patient experience. Learn more about that. But enough about that. What do we have on the docket this week? This week, we're taking a little bit of a break from technology, from treatment interventions and techniques and even research, and we're diving into the business side of healthcare, particularly mergers, acquisitions. I know many of the people that listen to this show and many of the people that I've had conversations with after episodes either own a practice or are thinking about owning a practice or manage a practice, manage a firm. Um, and, and the idea of what happens when I'm ready to retire or take the next step to grow the business and I need some capital, how do I do that? tends to be an issue that comes up. And as clinicians turned entrepreneurs or business owners, oftentimes we don't have a lot of that mindset or even education and training about it. So I decided to reach out to some folks and we got on the show this week, uh, Mike uh, Pekutowski or Pekutowski. It's never something easy like John Smith, right? (laughs) Mike's a great guy. He's a physical therapist by trade and training. And he'll tell you a little bit about working his way up through through the ranks at, at some big, big facilities and ended up doing some mergers and acquisitions. And now he is an M&A advisor, emergent acquisition advisor at a firm called 8150 Advisors. And they basically help on the buy side and the sell side for setting up on the physical therapy side primarily uh, purchases and mergers for for folks that are either looking to expand their practice or exit a practice and, and all of that. So we talked a little bit about just the the general lay of the land, what's the what's the normal and typical market look like for physical therapy mergers and acquisitions, how many deals get done in a given year, um, that sort of thing. We talked a little bit about how some of the the recent past, mainly being COVID and how that affected the, the healthcare industry in general, how that affected some of the landscape for mergers and acquisitions. Um, and then we spent a good bit of time talking about what physical therapy clinic owners can do to build value in their business to not only increase the multiple that they can receive when they sell out, 
but just make their business more attractive to a potential buyer. A lot of times, again, as clinicians turn business owners, we're trying to deliver high quality care and that's part of it, but there are other key pieces that need to be put in place to make sure that any kind of transition, whether it be to, to recapitalize and get bigger or uh, to completely exit, sell the business and exit, um, to make sure that that transition happens smoothly. Some of that involves making sure you've got a good management team in place, making sure you've got the billing operations squared away, making sure you've got operations in general, clinical operations, um, running as tight as they can. So Mike gave a good deal of information and insight about how we can do that as business owners, as clinic owners, to position our, our, our practices for an eventual sale or merger or acquisition down the line. One of the things that he said that kind of stuck with me was, if, if you think about when you want to retire, you want to begin or exit your business, you want to begin making the steps or planning for that three to five years before you actually want to do it. And I think that there are, I, I know that doing the work that I do with, with practices and, and practice owners, that many times it is the year they want to retire and then they're thinking about how to, how to exit. And they obviously there, there are steps that, that have been missed or there's just pieces that haven't been put in place or that would have made them uh, more money when they sold the business that just weren't there because they, they weren't planning that far ahead. So hopefully this uh, conversation is insightful and interesting on on the side of just seeing what the the market is, what the landscape is out there for mergers and acquisitions. And then hopefully you'll walk away with some practical and concrete steps that you can take in your own practice or your own organization to build that long-term value to eventually make you more desirable as either a merger partner or, or an acquisition down the line. So without further ado, here's Mike Pekatowski talking about mergers and acquisitions primarily in the rehab space. Hey, Mike, welcome to the show. How are you? Great, Rafi. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. For those that might not know you, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of a brief bio of your, your work in the rehab space. We'll kind of go from there. Sure thing. Uh, so my name is Mike Pekatowski. I'm a physical therapist by trade. Um, I worked in the clinic for, you know, 10 years uh, as a staff therapist, clinic director, those kinds of things. Um, um, got into management and, and started managing about 20 centers in the Western Pennsylvania market. Um, did that for a few years and, and got an opportunity to get into some consulting work and uh, was working with hospitals uh, to help them develop their musculoskeletal uh, um, service lines for uh, for quite some time. And because of my background in, in uh, physical therapy was pulled into um, any of the hospitals we were working with that had questions about outpatient rehabilitation, which we quickly learned was most, if not all of them. Um, and so eventually we ended up, uh, I ended up developing a, a niche uh, product line within that consulting firm that uh, worked exclusively with um, hospitals um, and, and health systems. Um, outpatient rehabilitation programs. It would, we'd assess and, and then consult with them and how to improve, improve performance. Uh, it's there where I started to get some, uh, some 
information uh, and work on some projects where some hospitals were interested in purchasing some some practices nearby. And so I started to learn the mergers and acquisition game, um, you know, with that experience. And fast forward a couple of years later, I've uh, got an opportunity to go back um, with uh, one of the companies that I worked for previously and uh, as a um, uh, vice president and, and managed about 60 locations in Western PA and Eastern Ohio. And um, at the time, that, that, that company was called Physio. At the time, they were looking to get back into the merger and acquisition game. They didn't really have anyone that uh, had any experience with it. Um, my, you know, the combination of my consulting experience and, and some of the uh, M&A work that I was doing as a consultant, um, you know, gave me the opportunity to step into uh, that role on a national, with a national company in a national stage. And um, fast forward almost eight years later, um, you know, it, it started out with Physio uh, doing the M&A work. Um, also, um, Physio got select, got, got acquired by Select Medical, so I was there for several years. And uh, I was most recently with Phoenix uh, Physical Therapy. Um, helping them with their with their M and A processes as well, which brings us to today. Um, you know, um, uh, most recently I've I've partnered with eighty one fifty advisors out of Vail, Colorado, and and um, you know that that firm helps advise uh, clients who are interested in in selling their practices and need help getting through the process. Um, so we have. Uh, Myself and, and Steve Stalzer, uh, who's my partner, um, and uh, Steve, you know, um, had a, a large practice he sold to one of the consolidators uh, back in 2015, and and you know has experience as a seller and and as um, you know through his consulting work um, on the sell side. I have the experience on the buy side, and between the two of us. Um, we make a pretty good team and, and you know, kind of how, how the process works, what everyone's looking for, um, the key contacts at, at various companies. And, um, it's been going extremely well since we partnered uh, earlier this year. And, um, we're going to close quite a few deals uh, this year, um, you know, as, as we partnered up. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, thanks for the background. That's a, that's a wide array of experience. There. <laughs> um, but it brings us to the whole, the, the mergers and acquisitions space, specifically like in the rehab industry and people buying and selling practices, just given kind of what you've said, it sounds like there's a lot of activity in the M&A space in rehab, correct? Yeah. So, um, you know, just, if you were to just go, you know, rewind a, a year ago, um, we we're still in the middle of the pandemic and, you know, a lot of the processes were paused. So, um, you know, kind of what happened is, is you had a lot of uh, backlog in, in deals and people that were interested in selling that, uh, you know, until the pandemic kind of panned out a little bit more, a lot of buyers weren't sure exactly what they wanted to do. And so I think you got this pent, pent up demand um, both in the buyers and sellers, um, and um, you know, and, and then we also have some factors with uh, potential tax changes with capital gains tax uh, kicking in next year, which is incentivizing some folks who are a little bit on the fence um, selling 
um, to maybe consider trying to sell this year as well. So you got a, a couple, two factors that I think are making this a little bit um, um, more active, at least in the short term here, um, than, than we typically see. Um, an average year, you'll probably see, you know, somewhere between, um, somewhere around 30 uh, deals a year. Um, you know, a big year will be 40, 40 or maybe even slightly north of 40 um, across the industry. And we're probably going to, you know, um, in a short period of time here, be in that pace, that 40, 40 plus pace for at least for the next several months here. Yeah. And so we've kind of touched a little bit on the buyers wanting to sell, acquirers wanting to buy, like, could you lay out some reasons why let's, let's just start on the, on the seller side. Like why might a seller want to sell other than retiring? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously retiring is the, the easiest one, but um, I would encourage anyone who even has a thought of retire of, of selling the practice to really walk through their, uh, their plan um, many years out before you're actually interested in, doing the transaction. Um, you know, it would not be a bad idea to start planning that five years prior to, to your exit. The reason being um, a lot of uh, buyers are interested in the sellers uh, staying on for a period of time afterwards. Um, so you, you, know, you wanna factor that in. Um, you don't, it doesn't necessarily need to be a, a lifetime commitment at that point, but you definitely are going to be encouraged to, to stick around. The, the, your practice has a lot more value if you're willing to stay around for, for some time. Um, I mean, the other the other factors that that I hear a lot from sellers today is, you know, uh, payers can be difficult to deal with in certain markets. Um, you know, just just the amount of back office activity. You know, uh, people see you in the clinic and, and you're treating patients and, and, and um, you know, running a successful business, but they don't realize that after the lights go out, you're going back and running payroll and, and um, you know, um, managing the back end of the business as well um, on nights and weekends. And so, you know, it gets to be a grind for, for some folks, um, particularly when they're at that level of a practice where, um, where um, you know they're they're kind of on that cusp between a small practice and a medium-sized practice, and they and they you know the the back-end office functions start to become a lot more uh, significant chunk of the time that they need to need to work on every day. Yeah, where would that break be for you? Like where you where you're someone that's on the cusp of being small versus medium? Is it number of clinics? Is it revenue, visits? It, it's probably a little bit of both. Um, you know, it's, there's no one size fits all, but, you know, once you're getting, you know, over a million dollars in revenue um, and, you know, two or three locations, you start to get to that, that um, area where sometimes the back office is going to start to really um, pick up in terms of because you have a lot larger staff now and you have um, more more things to manage more more balls to juggle on a daily basis so you know somewhere in that that realm you got to start thinking do I need another partner to help me continue to grow do I need to uh, expand further 
So, you know, and, and take on a, a loan or, or take on a financial sponsor or partner up with a larger organization that will help me continue to expand in this, in this market. Um, so, you know, there's some interesting questions start to pop up around that, that level. Um, and so, you know, for, for, it's everyone's, uh, it's an individual decision for everyone. Um, but ultimately, um, you know, you, you'll hit that point where you, I, I think most people will, will remember that point where, man, this is a lot of work. I'm spending, you know, 80 hours a week and, and maybe 30 or 30 or 40 hours is treating patients, but another 30 or 40 hours, just making sure um, the, the business is flowing properly. So that's, that's the spot where people start to get a little burned out. Yeah. Okay. And that's the, that's the seller side. How about the buyers? What might motivate a, a buyer in a market? Is it more strategic? Like they're wanting to branch into maybe an untapped market for them, or is there, is it kind of just like a revenue growth thing for shareholders and, and that sort of thing? Well, it'll be, it, it depends on what's, what the buyer's motivation is. You know, we got several different kinds of buyers out there, um, but they're ultimately lump into a couple, you know, couple key areas. One is um, they'll look to continue to expand in markets that are, they're currently in. We call those like tuck-ins or, or, you know, acquisitions that will complement the geographies that they're already in. Um, and the other main approach is the land and expand approach where you buy a practice in a new market and then look to expand um, in that market. Um, two very different approaches, um, you know, and, and it will take two different types of buyers that will that are capable of pulling those off. But um, you know, that's that's generally the two buckets that that they're in. Um, in in all cases, they're generally looking to to grow their their business, uh, you know, uh, expand in markets and. and and grow not only the 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 um, you know the financial side of it, but looking to expand and deliver um, quality care and services in markets that uh, they feel that they can they can you know improve the overall uh, customer experience. Yeah, just um, this is my own curiosity here. Does does that affect valuation either way, depending on which type of buyer you're dealing with? Absolutely. So um, certain buyers, you know, a, a certain type of practice may be more attractive to certain buyers. So that's really at, you know, that's where, you know, um, having an advisor may be uh, strategically advantageous to a seller because, you know, you know, we, we, we keep in touch with these buyers all the time and, and know kind of where, where they're, they're interested in going and, and, um, so it's sometimes it's it's uh, just lining up the the needs of the buyer and the needs of the seller. But ultimately, you know, if if you can get a um, a buyer who's extremely interested in a in a particular market or a particular uh, type of practice or or whatever, and you can uh, line them up, they're going to be a little bit more aggressive in in their their valuation there, just because that's it's an important strategic uh, acquisition for them. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've talked a little bit about kind of what's affected the market, COVID and the, the pandemic and coming out of that and this pent up frustration. Any other factors that are affecting kind of the, 
either the buy or the sell side? Um, you know, I think those are the, the main drivers that, that we're seeing right now. Um, I mean, I guess, I guess there's one other factor out there. You get, get um, you know, um, you have ATI um, out there who just recently went public. Um, and um, so that is causing some, some reverberations in the market. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out um, in the last uh, few days upcoming to this, to this uh, podcast. Um, the share price has dropped about 60%. Yeah. So, um, you know, <clears throat> it, 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 you know it, that will have some impact in the market. I think it's a short-term, you know, um, um, impact, but um, because it, 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 it appears uh, what's happening there is very local to ATI. But, um, but at the end of the day, that, you know, that uh, idea of going public um, is is something that um you know to this point you only have usph um, um ati now and and select in the, in that public arena um <clears throat> so it'd be interesting to see if more um um buyers start to go down that path and then i, I don't know if you've recently uh noticed but but upstream also made a big acquisition yeah uh, this week and so of, of results. Um, and so, uh, you know, that, that gives them over a thousand locations um, across the U.S. And, and so, you know, now you got some, some players in the market who are, are um, you know, adding uh, locations and, and growing their, expanding their business in new markets and complementary markets that uh, are going to give them a little bit more, you know, uh, economies of scale and some things that allow them to potentially look at things like going public or, um, you know, it depends on what, what they what their interest level is uh, or what their five-year plan is and where they want to go. But those things will have some impact in the, in the market as, uh, as we continue to go forward as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I noticed the, the share price for ATI dropping. It's gonna be interesting how, like how that all works out in the, over the next several years. But um, you mentioned at the beginning, you recommended that practice owners, regardless of where they're at in their kind of their stage, start thinking about having their eye on the exit, you know, three, four, maybe five years out from that. What concrete steps should a practice owner take before they're even thinking about selling? Are there like, is it back office things that we're looking at squaring away? Is it process of care or combination? Like kind of what, what are the big steps that we should be thinking about? Yeah. First and foremost, you get, you got to get your house in order. Um, so, you know, that is, uh, a delivering great care, um, and, and setting up your team around you so that you can maximize your ability to deliver great care across all the locations or, or, um, or within the, the, the house that, that you're currently operating out of. Um, so, you know, that is the cornerstone of any successful therapy practice. Um, and, and that is truly what, you know, the buyers that I'm working with, that's a, that's a basic. If, if that's not even there, they're not going to be interested. So, um, you know, delivering great care for, for sure is, is number one. Now you got to... Uh, the, the second phase of that is 
delivering great care in a um, you know in a financially successful model that works for your market. Um, not all models will work in all markets, and um, you know buyers recognize that. So there is variation in how someone might operate in California versus the way someone may operate in Pennsylvania. And, um, and that's okay. Um, it, it, at the end of the day, buyers understand that those markets are very different, but you, you have to have a uh, system that can deliver great care and do it in a financially successful way. Um, and then once you're, you know, the, the, the finances are, are um, getting to a point where you know, you're, you're starting to uh, see positive returns um, on, on a consistent basis. Now you're ready to start to understand, you know, what was a practice like mine worth? And how, how can I make it worth more if I'm looking to sell in five years? What are the steps that I need to take in order to, to, to uh, make my business um, worth more to a potential buyer or, you know, um, um, that, those I think that's that's kind of the next next phase, and that the answer to that is is very different for everyone. Um, you know, there may be some things that you you need to look at from um, you know from a billing perspective, from a from a staffing perspective, from from you know just a general operations perspective that will add value. Um, but some of the key steps. Are, are generally going to be developing good leaders within your organization, um, having having that great staff around you is going to be critical, um, and and developing those folks within because if you're going to exit and you have a plan, let's say you have a plan of you'd like to exit and work a year and then and then retire, we well, have to have a good number two um, lined up and ready to go at that point um to to really have a good successful transition um so it, some of that again is going to depend on what your goals are upon exit if you want to sell and, and stick around that's it that's a that's an easy sell uh to a buyer because that's that's something all buyers are looking for if you want to sell but then transition a year or two later that's um you know you're going to have to have that good number two um, that's capable of running the business when you're ready to step away. Um, so, you know, developing that bench strength is, is, is going to be critical. Um, and, um, and then just understanding the, the various, <clears throat> understanding how the valuation works. Um, so at that point, it'd be a good idea to, to have a, a simple appraisal of, of your practice, understand what, what that uh, appraisal might look like and, you know, what are the areas of opportunity? You know, you have an experienced eye, look at those numbers and you can say, look, your, your staffing's a little high or your, your um, reimbursement's a little low um, for this market. And, you know, those are things that <clears throat> you could start to look at. And there are probably some simple steps that you can take to tweak how you deliver um, your current model that will deliver the same or better yet in a, in a more financially beneficial way. Um, and so there, there are, and, and I, I just pull those two examples out because those are some of the, the, the bigger triggers, but there's 
probably 15 or 20 other things that you can be looking at as well that will deliver similar types of results. So um, at the end of the day, you're looking to maximize value in your practice. Um, and and um, so now you have you know, an idea of when you wanna exit, you have an idea of who the team is around you and what their capabilities are. You have an idea of what your practice is worth. Um, and you have, um, you know, kind of a kind of an end game ready ready to go. Um, if I need, you know, now it becomes a question of, okay, I would like to exit, and I think I think I'm going to need X amount of dollars to exit. So now you now you have a, an end game to to work towards. Okay, I need to build my practice to this number so that I have a reasonable chance of of getting the money that I need out of this practice when I'm ready to sell. Um, and so that might take another year or, or a year and a half, uh, or maybe even two years to get to that to that goal. Um, and so, you know, there are things. That's why starting early, you know, I, I always say at least three years out, but more likely five years out is probably the, when you want to start looking at this. And then, you know, start going through the steps. If you need help, um, you know, work with somebody that that can help you. Um, but at the end of the day you'll be able to really project out if I want to leave in five years, this is you know, generally what I can expect if I'm able to hit these numbers. And then once you start to hit those numbers, um, you know, now it's, now it's um, time to start having some conversations with some potential buyers. Um, and um, you know, th that, that whole process itself can take six months to a year once, once you've committed to to selling your practice. Um, it's not, you know, like you put, put the for sale sign out and, and you're, it's sold yeah. two days later. <laughs> it's, it does, there's a lot of work behind, behind uh, selling your practice. Um, and um, it, it is a process, generally minimum six months from, from the day you put it to market to when you sell it. More likely it's gonna be between six and 12 months. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for that overview. So for practice owners and moving in this direction, you know, we're we're trying to maximize value. We're trying to increase the like what we'll end up getting, whether it be a multiple or however we're gonna we're gonna cash out on the exit. What are some of those major metrics then that that practice owners should be looking at, or is it a combination of like objective metrics and qualitative assessment that we should be kind of gearing towards as we keep that eye on the on an exit? Yeah, so the the main um, the main metric that um, almost all valuations in in the physical therapy space are based off of is going to be your adjusted EBITDA. That's earnings before interest, taxation, depreciation, amortization. Um, there are several, um, I guess, courses um, at you know PPS and, and various. Um, um, opportunities out there where you can get an idea of what that number is for you. If you're working with an accountant, they should be able to help you a little bit. But you really, because our 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 space is so specialized, um, you know, it's getting someone with some experience in our space to to help you understand what your specific number is might be a good good idea for you. Um, 
And so, you know, there are, there are several folks uh, like myself who, who will do that for you. And again, at that point, you're just looking at to understand what that number is and get to, in today's market, what is the range of multiples that might be applied to, to that, that adjusted EBITDA. There are other factors other than EBITDA that affect that multiple. Um, it will be the size of the practice, the locate, number of locations, where those locations are, the payer environment in that market, um, the, uh, you know, the infrastructure of your business. Um, you know, do, do you have the, that number two and, and you're looking to get out a year from now? Those are all factors that a potential buyer are going to look at and, and add some value or detract some value from a multiple that you might get off of that adjusted EBITDA. Um, and so at the end of the day, there, there's a plethora of, of factors that could influence a final multiple, but you could certainly uh, get a pretty good idea of what range you're going to be in, given the characteristics of your business um, at any point in time. And again, that snapshot will also identify you know, what are some of the factors, what are some of the things that you might be able to work on that would improve the value of your business um, you know, over the next six or 12 months. And, you know, sometimes again, some of those are very simple things that you can work on and, and, and accomplish in a couple of weeks. Some of them take a year to, to really implement and, and do well within, within an organization. So, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, the, there's a multiple, uh, there are multiple factors that will finally um, impact that, that multiple. Um, but everything's based off of what is that adjusted EBITDA. Um, that's the starting point. Yeah. So let's just say for the sake of argument, it's, you know, in this market, we're selling it, you know, three or four times EBITDA. That's going to be just be whatever the EBITDA is, three or four times that, that'll be the range that you can roughly expect to sell the practice. And then you're saying, depending on whether it's a strategic acquisition or whether or not you, you don't have the infrastructure in place, like that'll affect it up or down, right? Correct. Correct. So let's say in a market that it's between a three and a five with four being the average in, in that particular market. Now, if you, are, you know, are not a particularly strong financial practice, well, you're going to be dipping below that four. Um, you know, if, if there, if you want to leave, uh, retire right away and don't have a number two, well, you might not even be attracted. You might not even get an offer at that, at that point. Um, so, you know, there, uh, so those are, those are some, you know, some ways to kind of think of it. And it's a very general way and it's not that simple, but, but that would be a way to think of it. And then oh, that, that same market, that's a four, but you got, but that particular practice has, is very successful, um, is clearly the market leader in, in one or two of the markets that, that they operate in. Um, have great relationships with referral sources, you know, all of a sudden that, that particular practice, that's going to start to go up, you know, above that four mark and, and, you know, closing in on that five mark. So, you know, there are, that's kind of a simple way to look at it, but yeah, I mean, if, you, if your average is four in that market for an average practice, and then they start looking at some of these other factors, it can move you up or down that, that, that dial. Yeah. 
How much of that is in the owner's control versus like just the timing of the market versus like the geography there, like they might land some big player in the game who really wants to be in their geographical market. Right. It's like anything timing, timing is any, any, everything with, with anything, but um, um, you know, that's only one factor, but um, right now the market is, you know, there are so many consolidators looking to buy uh, good practices that you know, in current the current environment, the the the, um, the metrics are very favorable, um, and so you know you'll you'll be able to have conversations with multiple buyers if you're uh, you know an average to above average practice. You're going to have several interested suitors um, in, in any particular market today. Now, six months from now let's say the Delta variant kicks in and, and COVID's all, you know, happening all over again. And it, it may start to dry up a little bit. I, you know, it's, it's hard, it's hard to say that that's the timing variant that, that we'll never be able to, yeah. to truly predict. But, um, but, you know, in general um, markets where, um, where large consolidators either want to be and they don't have a presence are attractive or where they already have a presence and are looking to, um, like I said, tuck in um, practices that complement their geography or, or, or bring in di a different um, um, practice type or bring in uh, different referral sources than, than, than they currently have. Um, those are very attractive to, to buyers as well. Yeah. Now, I know we, we talked a little bit about owners staying on for a year and all that. When it comes to the actual deal structure, like on average, is there a lot in the way of like earnouts in the way those deals are structured? Or is it really a lot of the, the, the whole cash is up front and then there's just this agreement that you're sticking on? Like, how does that typically shake out on the, for the owners? Yeah, so um, it, 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 earnouts are very common in, in the physical therapy world. Um, so if you think of it from, from a buyer's perspective, the buyer's identifying something that may have a small, um, you know, some kind of risk that associated with buying that practice. And they're quantifying saying, okay, you know, there's, there's a little bit of risk here. We like to do the deal, but if we can share a small percentage of the purchase price um, in, mitig in mitigating that particular risk. It's usually some kind of financial risk um, where you know there's a risk of, of revenue dropping or uh, efficiency dropping over a short period of time. And so you know an earnout is a vehicle that a buyer may suggest to say, "I'll pay you," and I'm just going to use round numbers. Uh, a million dollars for your practice, but I'd like 10% of that in an earnout. So $100,000 would be in an earnout. And that can be structured a lot of different ways. Um, sometimes, most of the times, it's some kind of financial metric. If you can maintain a certain level of revenue, a certain level of EBITDA, um, um, certain number of visits, um, you know, then we're comfortable paying the rest of that over in. Um, at, uh, usually it's a, a year or two uh, post-close. Post um, 
So, you know, an earnout is a structure that is used often. I'd say, you know, the, the early deals after the pandemic, because there was so much variability in, you know, in visit volume, um, yeah. and there's, and, you know, you didn't have a good 12 months of data to, to look at. So, you know, at, at, and during those times, um, an earnout was a, was a good vehicle um, if, the, if the seller's confident that, that they can deliver, um, you know, the, the, the business at the level that the, the, the most recent trend is showing, um, then the buyer is very willing to pay the full multiple, but they just got to make sure that, you know, a, that the visits aren't going to dry up or, or the, the revenue or, or EBITDA isn't going to dry up. Um, as you transition out of COVID. So what we're seeing is, you know, if it's a well-run practice, we're seeing, um, you know, some earnouts, um, but we're seeing less of that as we get away from COVID and, and buyers are more comfortable with, um, you know, with the market conditions today. Yeah, cool deal. Well, um, we're getting to the end here. If there's just one or two main points you'd want a, a buyer, or a, not a buyer, a, a seller or a practice owner, uh, to walk away from, Mike, what would they be? To walk away from? Well, uh, to walk away from this episode, from. Oh, <laughs> what, what do you want them to walk away from me? Like, oh, Mike really taught me that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, start the process early. Um, okay. As early as you possibly can. Um, you know, the more you understand about the process, um, the, the better position you'll be when, when you move to exit. And um, so um, that to me is the, the, is the key. Get help if you're, if you're not sure how, how to do um, uh, some of the, the financial stuff and understand the metrics in the business. I mean, some people are very, very good at it. And some people, you know, they're clinicians first and don't understand um, um, some of the financial or operational metrics so well. Get help. Um, you know, if you get somebody that can help you uh, improve upon those, you know, it might just be uh, two or three points, but that could make a significant, uh, you could get a significant return when you're ready to exit. And then finally, the, probably the other key piece is always have good people around you. Um, yeah. Develop your people, um, deliver, deliver that great quality care, because that will be, again, that is going to be the most attractive piece to any buyer um, as you move forward. Awesome. Well, Mike, thanks for taking the time. Where can people find you, connect with you, and, and learn more about 8150? Um, you can go to our website at 8150advisors.com. Um, my uh, direct email, if you want to reach out to me, is mikep at 8150advisors.com. And uh, you know, if anyone has any questions, I'd be happy to address them. All righty. Well, thanks for being on the show, Mike. Thanks, Ralphie. Appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mike Pekatowski on mergers and acquisitions in the physical therapy space. I know as someone who is involved in, in healthcare consulting and the marketing side of things, uh, it's nice to, to get a little bit more background and insight onto the, the buy-sell side of, of the world. Um, I'm a big fan of people like Mike, who both value the operational metrics, who understand the numbers very well, but even as he said at the very end there, the ultimate value builder in the business is delivering that high quality care. 
which is something that all clinicians can can wrap their head around and, and understand, right? Um, I think, again, I've reiterated this at the beginning, but I think it bears saying again, and, and Mike made mention of it before as well, at the very end here, we need to begin planning early and we need to have the plan in place or the roadmap in place for what happens next. What's the next stage of this clinic, of this business? Because if you don't have things squared away, I, I think very, very much on the, the Jim Rohn quote, the destination determines direction. And if you don't have that destination in mind, if you're just kind of taking it year by year, um, you're going to get nowhere, right? So, But if you know that you're going to be looking to exit or you're going to be looking at taking on a partner or maybe even making an acquisition yourself, that understanding of the ultimate direction or that goal, that destination, will inform the decisions you make as a business owner, as a clinic manager, uh, the people that you hire, the people that you don't hire, the strategic moves you make in insofar as service offerings or expansion and the like. I think another thing that he mentioned that we've talked about here on the show a bit has was about the people that you surround yourself with as a business owner, as a manager. A lot of times, again, as clinicians turn entrepreneur, clinician turn business owners, the training and education and sometimes even the skill set around hiring and developing staff is not something that that many folks are born with or trained with um, maybe if you've if you've worked through as a as a staff clinician somewhere and you've kind of risen through the ranks and become a manager and been placed in a in a position where you need to coach and mentor staff and train up future leaders in an organization you've got a better handle on it um, but it's something to be um, very intentional about. I know we had the the doctor that started uh, build your own team or build yeah build your team here on the show several episodes ago, and he talked about some of those soft skills or some of those non technical skills that really make healthcare workers shine or makes the the healthcare workers that are uh, superior superior. And a lot of that can be trained or developed in staff, both in the culture that you set at your organization and the specific things that you seek to incentivize on their part. So thinking back again about the hires that you've made or that you're going to make, the kind of culture you want to develop at your facility, and then how that's going to translate into the ultimate end user of your service, which is the patient. So that's all I've got to say about that. If you like the show, head on over to iTunes. You can leave us a rating and review, um, or you can head on over to www.betteroutcomes.show. There you can find the, the backlog of all the episodes that we've released to date. You can sign up to get new episodes delivered straight to your inbox. Um, and shoot, you can even reach out to us, ask us a question. We might read it on the show here. You never know. And if you are a business owner, a clinic owner or administrator, and you want to develop a system that helps you attract, acquire, engage, and retain more patients, if you want your patients to do your marketing for you, if you want them to show up to their appointments, if you want them to finish their courses of care, complete their course of care, 
um, then check out the Ultimate Patient Experience Blueprint, where we will help you do just that. Um, you can learn more about that at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com slash U-P-E. That's rehab, the letter U, practice solutions.com slash U-P-E. Until the next time, everyone be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Better Outcome Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.